I grew up in a, you know, primarily Christian household, but we, you know, didn't necessarily follow God. As I started to grow up and develop my own family, my way became different than my dad's way, and that became a big gap between us. And some words were said and some things done that broke apart my family. I decided just to leave and move on with my wife and kids. The guilt and the shame of that was just terrifying. And mentally and inside, I just became a train wreck. And I ended up having a really horrible mental breakdown where I was scared that I was never going to come back from this. And my marriage suffered and my life suffered and, and I had nothing to turn to. I was backed into a corner with nowhere else to look. I said, God, please help me. That night I read a passage, I opened the Bible, it turned to James and it said, faith without deeds is dead. And I heard a small gentle nudge, forgive your father. It was a loving nudge. And I knew right then I had to start. When I saw my dad, he was like a little kid. He was so happy to see me. And he hugged me and he, and he just, I could just see the love in his eyes and all the worry, all the pain was gone. And it was just like the pieces just started falling into place. And now when God puts something in front of me, I remember what he does and I, I take a step forward. Even when I feel like crap and everything's screwed up, God's working. When life is tough and I feel separate from God, I have a faith that God is working now. I never had before. I'll always cling to Jesus, always. Well, I bet you didn't expect to hear an Adele song when you came here today, did you? But it's absolutely appropriate for what we're talking about today. So far in our little peace series, we've talked about peace with God. We've talked about peace with ourselves. And now we conclude this series with peace with others. And then next week, we're going to start a brand new three-part series called Identity Theft. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't know, have a clue who they are anymore, where their identity should be found. And so we're going to talk about where our identity is found as according to the Bible and as according to God's Word. So I hope that you'll come invite a friend or two to be a part of that. And then you heard Quint's testimony. What a powerful testimony of offering forgiveness, forgiveness being received, reconciliation happening between two people. But let's make no mistake about it. Forgiveness is not an easy thing, is it? I was reading a book by Lewis Smead. It's called Forgive and Forget. And in the book, he tells the story of Jane and Ralph. Jane and Ralph had their own kids, and they were going through all the adolescent whirlwind years that everybody goes through. And eventually, their kids grew out of that. They went off to college. They got jobs of their own. They finally left the house. And now Jane saw that they were empty nesters, and she was so excited. Meant more individual time alone with Ralph. Also meant that she could do some things that she'd been put off for years. But all of a sudden, tragedy occurred. Uh, Ralph's brother and wife died tragically in a car accident, leaving three children behind, an 8-year-old, 10-year-old, and 12-year-old. Ralph didn't feel like it was right to allow, put those kids, allow those children to be in foster care in an orphanage. He said, we've got to take those children in as our own. And Jane agreed. 
And so for the next nine years, Jane pretty much took care of these three children as well. Because Ralph was busy traveling from here and there. The lion's share of the work, it fell upon Jane. Finally, the youngest child was 17 years old, getting ready to graduate from high school, be heading off to college. Now she would finally get to experience that empty nest that she had longed for some nine years earlier. But once again, tragedy struck. Ralph had a secretary. Her name was Sue. She was a young, attractive woman who knew exactly what to say to stroke old Ralph's ego. They said that they fell in love. They came to Jane and shared that they believed that it was God's will that they should be together and that he should divorce her. And so they ended up getting a divorce. And then years go by, two, three years go by, Ralph gives Jane a phone call. Says, Jane, I want you to be happy for me because I'm finally happy for the first time in my life. I also want you to forgive me and I want you to bless my new marriage with Sue. What would you say? What would you do? Uh, Jane in, uh, told Ralph in very graphic terms where he could go. That's what she did. <laughs> Smeeds writes the following paragraph. There's a lot to be said for not forgiving people. It's true, isn't it? Why should people cut their way through our lives, leaving us bleeding in their wake, and then expect us to forgive everything and act as if nothing was wrong? Forgiveness, he says, seems an outrage against dues, pain, morality. We can relate to Jane, can't we, to one degree or another. Someone has wounded you, someone has hurt you, someone has done you wrong. And you weren't looking for it. You were just sitting there as innocent as you could possibly be, and you became collateral damage to their bad choices, to their bad decisions, and they left you wounded. And so what did you decide to do? Well, many of us, we decided to get revenge. We said, you know what, you hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. You come at me, I'm going to come at you harder. In the words of Rambo, I didn't draw first blood. But I will be in this fight till I draw the last ounce of your blood. I will put you in your... You think I'm going to lay over here and just take what you've done to me? You've got another thing coming. Friends, we're learning a story in the Bible out of all the people in the Bible other than Jesus who had every reason not to forgive other people for what they had done. This young man had those reasons. His name was Joseph, and we found his story, find a story, in the book of Genesis. This is how the story of Joseph goes. Joseph had many, many brothers, 11 brothers, one sister. He's in a large family. Here's the problem for Joseph. His dad loves him more than he loves his brothers. And he wants to make certain that all the other boys know who his favorite is. Because you know the story. He gives him a richly ornamented robe. Now you know in this time period that colors on clothing symbolize something. And so this was Jacob's way, Joseph's dad's way of saying, This son of mine means everything to me. Now, one of the interesting things about this robe is that the Bible describes it as a long, flowing robe. Go all the way down to his hand. Go all the way down to his ankles. Well, guess what? Anyone who was working in the fields would never wear a robe like this. A field, robes that were used to work in the fields, they were short sleeve robes. They would come down just on the thigh. That's what the robe would do. That way you had your legs and your arms and your hands ready to go to do the work. So what's Jacob trying to say about Joseph? 
He's looking at all the other sons. He says, listen, boys, you go out and you work the fields. But my son, Joseph, who means everything to me, he doesn't have to go out there and sweat. He doesn't have to go out there and work the fields. He can stay right at home with me. How do you think that made the brothers feel? Friends, this is one dysfunctional family. There was a census taker. He was up in West Virginia, up in the mountain area, and he came upon this log cabin. He knocked on the door. A 13-year-old girl opened up the door. He said, hey, is your, your dad here? She said, no. He's been in jail for the past two years. Census keeper said, all right, well, is your mom here? She said, no. He, she ran off with the moonshiner a while back. He said, all right. He said, well, do you have an older sister? Is she here? She said, no. She's in the hospital for crazy people. He said, all right. Is your older brother here? She said, no, he's at Harvard. He said, he's at Harvard? He said, what's he studying at Harvard? Little girl said, he's not studying nothing. They're studying him. <laughs> That's a dysfunctional family. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what we have here in this story. The brothers hated Joseph because he wore that robe everywhere that he went. He rubbed his, the love that his dad had for him in everybody else's faces. And we also find out that Joseph was a tattletale. He told on the brothers all the time, strutted his stuff, strutted that robe. It'd be the equivalent of a young woman getting engaged, showing off her ring to her older single friend who has no prospects. You understand what I'm saying? It's not good. To top it all off, Joseph has two similar dreams. And each dream talks about the fact that one day his brothers will dial down before him. That they will uh, put their allegiance towards him. Now, if you already know your brothers can't stand you, and you already know your brothers hate you, you don't want to add fuel to the fire, right? You'd probably kind of keep those dreams to yourself. <laughs> but not Joseph, the arrogant little jerk. Look at what he does. Genesis 37, verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Look five verses down. Joseph had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, had another dream. This time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down before me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what's this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Joseph's biggest problem was that he was arrogant. Full of himself. 17-year-old kid, what do you expect? Well, Jacob's oblivious to how the rest of the brothers feel about Joseph. So the brothers are all out working the fields. Why isn't Joseph working the fields? Well, he's got the robe. He didn't have to go out and work on the field. So Jacob, because he's unbeknownst to him, doesn't realize the hatred that the brothers have towards Joseph. He sends Joseph out to tattle on his brothers once again to check on them to come back with a report. What well, he doesn't realize is he's got Joseph so far away from home that Joseph doesn't have the protection of his dad anymore. And they see him coming in the distance. It says, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Their jealousy turned to hatred. They plotted to kill him. They threw him down into a cistern, and then they decided what they were going to do with him. And they determined that they would sell him instead. Why have the blood of him on their own hands? No, let's just sell him into slavery. Can you imagine if you were Joseph listening to this? you got to be thinking, you're in this pit of this well, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, they're just messing around. They don't really mean it. 
But then all of a sudden, some slave traders come by, and you hear them start to barter about how much they'll sell you for. And then before you know it, you're bound, and you're, and you're tied up, and you're, you're dragged away. And you, and you look off in the distance at your brothers as they're laughing as you leave. Now, what would you be feeling at this point in time? Wouldn't you feel a little bit of hatred? Wouldn't you think to yourself, boy, you know what? If I ever get the chance to get these guys back again for what they've done to me on this day, I'm going to get them back, and I'm going to get them worse than they got me. Don't you want to get just a little bit of revenge? There was a little boy. He was disciplined by his dad. That night when he sat down on his bed to say his bedtime prayers with his mom and his dad, he said, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for mom, thank you for grandma, thank you for grandpa, and thank you for my little brother Billy. Then he looked at his dad and said, Did you notice I left you out? There's something about human nature, isn't there? You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. I'm going to hurt you worse than you hurt me. And I'm thinking that Joseph felt this in this moment, don't you think? He sold to a man named Potiphar. And just when things start to get a little bit better, Potiphar's wife has the hots for him. She she says, hey, come to bed with me, come to bed with me. Joseph says, oh, no, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He runs away from the cray-cray woman. She says, that Hebrew tried to make sport of me, tried to rape me. Joseph's done nothing wrong. But he finds himself in jail anyway. And while he's rotting away in jail, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph. And while he was in jail, he meets the Pharaoh's cupbearer, meets the Pharaoh's baker. Something's gone wrong with the Pharaoh's food. I don't know what it was. Maybe he had Pharaoh's revenge. I don't know for certain what was going on with all that. But what I do know is that something happened to that food, and they threw him in jail so they could sort it out. And both those guys, they had a dream. But Joseph, he, he had a dream one time too, didn't he? And one of the things we find out about Joseph, he has the ability to interpret dreams because God gave him the ability to interpret dreams. So the, the cupbearer and the baker, they come and they share the dreams. And, and the cupbearer shares his dream first. And Joseph said, listen, you're going to be found innocent. In just a few more days, you're going to go back to your royal post. And for the baker, uh, you're going to be found guilty and they're going to hang you. Then Joseph turns to the cupbearer and says, when you go back to your royal position, when you're right there in the throne room of Pharaoh himself, would you remember me? And I'm an innocent man rotting away in this jail. Would, Would you be my advocate? Would you be my friend? Would you speak on my behalf? And of course, you know the story. You, you know that the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. And so Joseph languishes in prison for a time longer. And then one day the Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret the dream. And the cupbearer remembers that there's Joseph in that prison cell. And so they call for Joseph. And Joseph says, here's what the dream means. You're going to have seven years of plenty. Then you have seven years of famine. If you're a wise Pharaoh, you'll store up for the seven years of plenty. So you have plenty of food for the seven years of famine. And they put Joseph in charge of it. He goes from the outhouse to the penthouse. He goes from a jail cell to a beautiful royal castle, second in charge of all of Egypt. Well, Joseph's busy. He didn't have time for unforgiveness. He doesn't have time for revenge. Those first seven years, he's putting barns together and storing up crops as much as he possibly can. He's got to save people from the famine that's going to come. And sure enough, the famine finally comes rolling in. And about halfway through the famine, guess what? People begin to run out of food. 
And people are coming from miles around, all these cities around Egypt. They're coming in, they're looking for food. And guess who comes looking for food but Joseph's brothers. And then they stand before Joseph looking for some food. Now, here are the people who wounded you. Here are the people who, who, who sold you. I mean, they left you for dead. In fact, they make up some story on their way home and, and they take that robe that they despise so much and they killed an animal and poured the blood of the animal on the robe and threw it down. How callous is that? Threw it down at the feet of their father and says, I guess he got killed by some wild animals along the way. Never told the dad what had really taken place. They had concealed it all those years. These are the people who took you away from your home, took you away from your dad, took you away from every hope that you ever had, your hometown, all your dreams, all your hopes, everything, gone. Now they stand before you and they don't recognize you. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. Guess what? He's almost 40 now. And somewhere between the ages of 17 and 40, the male body changes quite a bit. So I'm told. He's got the Egyptian garb on. He's clean shaven. He's looking good. He's got the Egyptian accent. He speaks Egyptian. They've long since forgotten about their brother. But he hasn't forgotten about them. And when he sees them, every insecurity pops back to his head. Every bit of hurt and frustration and bitterness rages in his mind. You know what his immediate response is? It's revenge. Now, how do we know that? Because he says, I believe you guys are here to spy out the land. And he throws them in jail for three days. Why does he do that? It's called payback. I think he wants him to feel what it's like to be falsely accused. I think he wants him to feel what it's like to be stripped of all hope. Stripped of the idea that you'll ever see your dad again. That you'll ever see your family again. I think he wants to hurt them in some way worse than he was hurt. There's a story that happened during the Korean War. Some gentlemen, uh, military guys, they hired a Korean young man to be their cook and to clean the barracks for them. And so uh, they would play little practical jokes upon him. They would take Vaseline and they'd rub it all over the handle of the stove. And he would grab the handle and be grease all over his hands. They thought that was funny. They put cups of water, buckets of water over the doors. Whenever he'd walk through the doors, the water would fall on top of him, drench him. They thought that was funny. They even nailed his, his shoes to the floor. They thought that was funny as well. What was interesting about that Korean young man is he never retaliated, never said a word. Not, not one unkind word came out of his mouth. He just took it a day after day, week after week, month after month. Well, guess what? They started feeling guilty over it. They started feeling bad. They, they started realizing that he wasn't really participating with these jokes like they were. And they knew they needed to apologize. So they sat down with him. They said, listen, we're really sorry for the way that we treated you. We, we thought we were having some fun, but it became obvious to us that you weren't having fun with us. W will you forgive us? And the young man said, no, no more Vaseline on the stove handle. And they said, no, no more Vaseline on the stove handle. He said, no more buckets of water over the doors. He said, no, we're not going to put more buckets of water over the doors. He, he said, no more nailing my shoes down to the floor. He said, no, we're not going to nail your shoes down to the floor anymore. He said, okay. 
then I won't spit in your soup anymore either. <laughs> now, you liked that one, didn't you, center, center chicken dinner right there? You're like, yeah, little payback right there, right? Revenge. Boy, it just sounds good, doesn't it? Put somebody in their place. Get them back worse than they got you. Make them play the part of the fool. Hurt them, wound them, punish them. It doesn't satisfy, does it? When you stoop yourself down to that person's level and you act in that manner, a manner that's completely opposite of what Christ wants you to live like, it doesn't satisfy. But I, I will tell you what it will do for you. You ready for this? Re revenge will kill your prayer life. Because how in the world can you go to God and, and ask him for forgiveness when you won't forgive anybody else? No, your, your prayer life will be spotty at best. And, and your worship attendance, it'll be spotty too. You'll, you'll be good to come once every four or six weeks. I mean, once you come to Easter, it'll be eight weeks before we see you again. I mean, that's just the way it works, right? It's just going to be spotty. You're just not going to feel a closeness to the Lord in, in your relationships because you're fueled by anger and bitterness and resentment. Well, you can kiss all your other relationships goodbye too because it begins to ooze into these other relationships. And, and your health will begin to deteriorate. I mean, study after study has shown that, that stomach and, and heart attacks happen as a result of us storing up all these negative emotions inside of us, being full of anger and bitterness and resentment. Well, Joseph is feeling that. And here's what's great for Joseph. He's got the power to do whatever he wants to do. Who's going to stop him from messing with these guys? No one's going to stop him. He can mess with them any way he wants to mess with them. He can forget about them. He can let them rot in jail. And he does for three days. But after three days, he comes to his senses. And he realizes that I don't want to be like that. And I don't want to be full of that. I love what Romans chapter 12 says. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. I looked that up in the Greek. It means don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. God looks at you and says, I saw what happened. I took note of that. And I will deal with that. You walk in the same grace and forgiveness for others that I've given to you. Because I don't want you to carry that around. I will take care of that. I am the judge. I am the jury. I'll take care of that for you. What does he tell us again and again in Scripture? Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You say, I'd really like to do that, Todd. But the pain's deep. And it, it would be one thing if it just happened, you know, once in a while for a short season. But my gosh, these people... They have hurt me for years and years and years. How do, how do I get to that place where I release it 
and I finally just let it go so I could become the person that God wants me to become. I'm going to tell you this right now. Forgiveness is a battle. It's a battle that you'll fight every single day, and there'll be days that you'll win that battle, and you'll be able to forgive, and you'll be able to release a little bit more of it, and there'll be days you'll take it all back up again. I'm just trying to be honest with you. That's the way it works. That's how messed up we are. We know it's the best thing to release it, and yet there's something inside of us that thinks I can somehow control this. I can keep the power. I'll tell you this, if you want to overcome it, if you finally want to release this to, off into the hands of God, the first thing you got to do is you got to pray like you've never prayed before. you got to cast all your cares upon the Lord because he cares so much for you. And you just tell him everything that's gone down, everything that's happened, every harmful word, every harmful deed, you just throw up on him, he can handle it. You need to release it, you need to let it go. But I want to warn you about something. Before you get to talking about what somebody else has done to you, you need to start off talking about what you've done to the Lord. Before you start talking to God about somebody else and what they've done wrong, you need to start talking to God about what you've done wrong to him. Because here's the deal. When you start confessing your sin to him, and you start naming your sins and the people that you've wounded, the people you've disappointed, the promises you've broken, the way you made said life was going to be this way and it turned out to be this way. The more you cast that stuff on the Lord, the more he softens your heart towards others. As you begin to feel and experience the grace and the forgiveness of God, he will so soften your heart, he will so humble you that even the hardest, most bitter, resentful, angry heart that there is, all of a sudden something will break inside of them and they'll say, oh my goodness, if God can forgive me for all of that, how can I not forgive somebody else for what they've done to me? So the first step, if you really want to overcome this, is you got to pray. But before you pray about what happened to you, you pray about what you did to him. And you confess your sins to him. And you allow him to humble you. You allow him to love you. You allow him to forgive you and soften your heart so that you might be able to forgive those who have wounded you along the way. Second thing is this. When you get in the right frame of mind, you need to go to the person and talk to them about what took place and you need to tell them that what they did hurt you that what they said hurt you and wounded you now here's what might happen they might look at you and laugh they might look at you and say oh that wasn't that big of a deal I don't know why you're taking it so seriously listen your job again is not to deal with how they're going to respond your job is to release it there's something cathartic about looking that person in the eye who hurt you and say, I just want you to know that because God forgave me, I forgive you. Whether you ask for it or not, I am releasing you, and I'm releasing me of this, and I'm forgiving you for this. Listen to me. Forgiveness is a gift that you give to yourself. Forgiveness is a gift that you give to yourself so that you can enjoy this day with the people that God's placed in your life. Listen, it doesn't mean you have to continue to be hurt by this person. Could be that you redefine the relationship. Could be they're not going to be a part of your life any longer. But you need to have the conversation and release that. And say, I forgive you in the same way that God has forgiven me. Look at what happens here. Genesis chapter 45. Joseph takes his brothers out of prison and he has dinner with them. It's like a scene out of the movie Godfather. Here's what happens. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now stop. What do you think they're thinking at this point? 
We are dead men walking. That's what they're thinking. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there have been famines in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph said, I know what you meant. You wanted to hurt me. But God used it to make me the person that I am today. See, Joseph saw God's plan in the pain and the heartache that he went through. Sometimes we don't see it. And we don't get it. And that's when forgiveness gets even harder, doesn't it? But I'm telling you, there'll be a day that God will reveal to you how he used it in your life. And how he used it to mold you and shape you to be the person that he wanted you to be. And until that day comes, you just keep trusting him. You keep accepting his forgiveness. And you keep releasing his forgiveness onto other people. I thought about my life this past week. And thought about all the people that have wounded me. And there's a list. That's pretty long. Um. I used to have a hard time forgiving. But my wife taught me how to forgive. She taught me how to forgive by the way that she forgave me. And so I I can sit up here today and say, I, I don't hold any grudge any bitterness or resentment towards anyone, and, and I hope that you don't hold it towards me. Here's, here's what I found to be true in my life. Anger and resentment and bitterness has never benefited me. And I have never found myself attracted to people who are angry and bitter and full of revenge. I don't want to be like that. You know what I want to be like? I want to be like Jesus. And on the cross, what's the first thing he said? Father, forgive them, for they have no idea what they're doing. Now, if Jesus can forgive all that we've done to him, we can take that same love and that same grace and that same forgiveness and forgive others. Because vengeance is his and in the end he'll take care of it that's how you get peace with other people let's pray dear heavenly father some of us walked in here today with just a bag of pain and resentment and anger towards somebody else and we've been carrying it for days weeks months Goodness, some of us have been carrying it for years, even decades. Lord, I pray that we'd finally release it. That we'd be so overwhelmed with how much you've forgiven us for. And we would so be filled with your love and your forgiveness. That it would so flow out of us. That we would finally let it go at the foot of the cross. Lord, I pray in these next few moments that we would be able to write down what we need to write down and to cast all of our cares, all of our burdens upon you 
and finally be free once and for all. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.